Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse. I'm the host for this podcast. Right off the bat, I just I want to take a minute and <laughs> express my delight. I absolutely love teaching the Bible. It, I mean, it can be difficult to teach people that I'm not able to interact with or even see, but I, I cherish the study, the, the preparation, and the sharing of my findings. My hope is that this has been beneficial for you. I, I pray that this has been edifying for you. My desire is that this has been uplifting for you. The Parable Ministry's purpose is to provide biblical teaching, biblical counsel, and encouragement that comes from the Bible to Christians in an effort to foster spiritual growth. And this podcast in particular is our outreach of biblical teaching. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to find one person this week who has not heard of this podcast, and I want you to share it with them. I, I want this podcast to be a genuine outreach for people to receive biblical teaching. So that's your mission for this week. Share this podcast with one person. Today we are back in Galatians chapter 4. In this passage, it's it's super easy to abuse. If you remember our Do Nots series that we did a while ago, this, this could be a passage that we could put in there. So our approach this week, it, it needs to, to be careful. We, we need to be intentionally aware of the contextual context as well as the historical context. We're specifically looking at Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. So it's, it's just 10 verses today, but they, they are kind of a doozy. So let me remind you, just to, to help set this passage up, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches within the region of Galatia. And I, I guess to help you visualize where that is, think of uh, modern-day Turkey. It was right in the middle of Asia Minor. So Paul wrote this letter in order to correct some, some false rumors that were going around about him and, and even some accusations that were put against him. And he, he wanted to correct some false teachings that the Galatians were struggling with. So this, this letter, summarized, is a letter of correction and clarification, which is why we're going through it, because I, I wanted to offer a solid foundation for you that is presented through clear correction, clear instruction, in order to communicate some ministry values that we have and, and help everyone listening, just be on the same page. So everything that's led up to this passage, the, the passage that we're going to look at today, it's, it's been about correction and clarification. So this passage uh, that we're going to look at today is the pinnacle of that goal. We need to realize this before we enter it, because the content is the capstone of Paul's clarification. So I'm going to read through these 10 verses and then we'll start dissecting it and we'll explore its meaning. So Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. <clears throat> Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically, 
These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than will will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also is it now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The reason we need to be careful with this passage is because it can easily be misunderstood, especially since we're so far removed from the immediate context. Allegories are dangerous when they're misused because it allows personal interpretation to replace God's intended meaning. Here, I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, Jesus' parables were commonly allegorized. They can also become dangerous when misused. Uh, one of the more famous allegories is that of Augustine's interpretation of Jesus' parable that he told about the Good Samaritan. Now, if, if you haven't heard of this parable, I'll, I'll read it for you here uh, quickly. It's, it's from Luke chapter 10. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what's, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, This is the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came, he saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where this beaten man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two coins, two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer replied, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. 
Now, the meaning of this parable, it's, it's not a hidden feature. The, the lawyer, I, I, I guess you could think of it as like a prestigious Bible scholar. He, he was a studier of the, the Old Covenant law. So, right, lawyer. Okay, so he knew the biblical text very well. He wanted to test Jesus, meaning he wanted to try to beat Jesus at his own game because Jesus was known to be an incredible teacher. So this lawyer comes and he says, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks, this is my dumbed-down version of it, well, what do you think? You know the Bible really well. I'm sure you have an idea. And the, the Bible scholar essentially answers his own question. And so Jesus is like, well, yeah. Why did you ask a question if you already knew the answer to it? Which is a little kind of brutal, but it says desiring to justify himself, right, the, the, the lawyer, he asked a clarifying question. Who exactly is my neighbor? Now, this question, it, it was a loaded question because it had been debated by a lot of people for a long time. So this guy was trying to bait Jesus into a debate. And so then Jesus tells this extravagant story about this guy who gets beat up, he gets passed by, by respectable people, and then someone who was culturally hated at that time came and he went above and beyond in caring for this beaten man. And then Jesus asks the, the defining question, who proved to be a neighbor to this man? And the answer was plainly obvious to anyone who listened, and the lawyer confessed it was the man who showed mercy. So the purpose of this parable was not only to deflate a tense situation, it was a method that Jesus used to reach into this lawyer's heart and point out his sin. However, this parable has been taken and its meaning has, or its meaning has been replaced, like meaning has been put into it. And an example of that is Augustine's interpretation of this passage. He took details of the story and he gave each detail a meaning. This is what I mean. He said that the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho represented Adam. Jerusalem was the heavenly city of peace from which Adam fell. Jericho represented the moon, which signified Adam's mortality. The robbers represented the devil and his angels. They stripped him, meaning they stole his immortality. They beat him, meaning they persuaded him to sin. They left him half dead, like just as a, a man lives but is spiritually dead. The priest and the Levite, they, they represent the priesthood and the ministry of the Old Testament. The bandaging of the beaten man's wounds, it, it reflects the, the binding restraints of sin. The oil represented the comfort of good hope. Wine was the exhortation to work with a fervent spirit. The, the donkey, or the, the animal, whatever it was, which the Samaritan put the beaten man onto, that represented the flesh of Christ's incarnation. The inn represented the church. The next day represented the resurrection. The two coins represented the promise of this life and the life to come. And finally, the innkeeper signified the apostle Paul. And this is what I mean when I say we need to be careful <laughs> with parables 
and analogies, especially parables and analogies, and also especially when a, a teacher is using them, because a teacher is using them for a specific purpose. So we need to understand the original purpose rather than seeking to understand some some hidden meaning it might have. You know, actually, Colossians is a great book if you want to read more, if, like look more at this. The church in Colossae was struggling with Gnosticism, which focused a lot on hidden knowledge. And so Paul, he wrote this letter. He, he kind of plays into that, and he talks a lot about the mystery of Christ. It's a great book, one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, but back to Galatians. Paul gives an analogy, uh, an, ex- an example, to communicate a specific thought. So let's look at what he's trying to communicate rather than what each detail of his example might mean. We'll approach this passage thought for thought so, so that it's a little more digestible. So starting with verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, and one by a free woman. So this is the setup. Paul is using a historical example to drive home his point. Now, this, this isn't the first time that Paul has mentioned Abraham or even sonship. So this is being built off of previous content. The setup is two sons. One was born by a slave woman, and the other was born by a free woman. So that's the distinction. Slavery and freedom. Now, this has already been covered by previous episodes, but as a reminder, Paul explained in chapter 3 that the Old Testament law was like a, a guardian because it established a standard that mankind couldn't reach, and so they became imprisoned by their own sinfulness. But when Christ came, he fulfilled the law And now through Christ, mankind is able to walk in sonship before God. So with this in mind, you you can kind of see where Paul's going. We have an example about slavery and freedom. Verse, uh, Verse 23. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, historically speaking, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he promised him an an heir that would become a great nation. However, Abraham was getting uh, pretty old, and his wife was physically unable to have children. So his wife gave Abraham one of her servants. Her name was Hagar. And so Abraham, in an attempt to accomplish God's promise on his own terms, had a child with Hagar. But God made a clear distinction saying, this child will not be your heir. You will have your own son with or through your wife, and he will be your heir. God did fulfill this promise, and a very old Abraham had a son with his barren wife, Sarah. It was something only God was able to accomplish. So again, we have a distinction. The son of slavery was born according to man's will and practice, and the son of freedom was born according to God's will and purpose. Now we move on to the development of Paul's example, verse 24. 
Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. To be honest, this is where things can get a little confusing. So just hold on. We'll go step by step. Paul is using a historical account as an example to help explain the thought that he's communicating. So, what's the thought that he's trying to communicate? Well, let me, let me read a couple verses from Galatians chapter 3, just uh, that was one chapter before this uh, statement. And we'll, we'll use his own words to explain his thought. So, we'll start with verse 7, chapter 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Verse 22. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And lastly, verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So the thought that Paul is communicating to the churches in Galatia is that anyone through Jesus Christ can be adopted into God's family. It it doesn't matter your ethnicity, your social status, or even your gender. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is Abraham's spiritual offspring, heirs according to promise. So back to this distinction of sons of slavery and sons of freedom. Verse 24, back to chapter 4, verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So, Paul uses Hagar, the the slave that Abraham had a son with, as an illustration of the people in Jerusalem. The, the very place where Jesus was rejected and killed. The, the people of Jerusalem were still trapped by their sin because of the law which came from Mount Sinai. As Paul said, she is in slavery with her children. So, uh, I guess to be very clear, let, let me draw a, a straight line for you. In this example, Hagar the slave relates to the covenant made at Mount Sinai which entrapped mankind under a holy standard, which then goes to the earthly Jerusalem, and it points to those enslaved under the law. And then we have the immediate 
contrast of the free woman. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So if I were to draw a straight line again, this, is, this would be uh, Sarah the free woman relates to the covenant of promise, which then goes to the Jerusalem above, and it points to those born free in Christ. The distinction this time in the example is between the earthly legalistic system represented by Palestinian Jerusalem and the spiritual regeneration and freedom which comes from above. Paul then quotes from Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah in verse 27, just to add an extra punch. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This prophetic declaration is based on the death and resurrection of the suffering servant, uh, which is talked about in Isaiah chapter 53. It's just one chapter before this statement that's being uh, quoted, before this statement was even written. So Paul understood this statement to be the inclusion of everyone who received salvation by faith, and this included the Gentiles, as the spiritual seed of Abraham. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. Because we are children of promise. It's not according to human tradition or or practice. It's not according to man's will. It is through the faithful promise of God our Father. So we just have four more verses. This is Paul's conclusion. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, well, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So, this is Paul's conclusional statement for this example. He reinforces the distinction between slavery and freedom, and he goes a step further this time, saying that one will receive inheritance and one will not. He even quotes from the historical narrative of Isaac and Ishmael that's recorded in Genesis chapter 21. In this account, Ishmael, the son of Hagar, mocks Isaac, the son of Sarah. And Sarah told Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 21, verse 10, so she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman will not be heir with my son Isaac. And God later supports this decision in verse 12. God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So it becomes evident that the son of slavery will not join with the son of freedom's inheritance. 
This example fit the situation for the Galatians because they were being coerced to adopt and observe these ritualistic practices and these ordinances that came from the Old Testament law. But as Paul already made clear, they were not bound to that system because Jesus Christ accomplished all of the law's purpose and he gave them freedom as sons and daughters of God. So in this example, they were considered children of promise or sons of freedom. They didn't earn this position through self-effort or good works. It was given to them from above. It was given to them through their belief. Now, the Judaizers, in this example, are called sons of slavery because they wanted to stay under the guardianship of the law and they wanted to keep people there with them. But as Paul concluded, only one of these metaphorical sons would receive inheritance. And as he said in verse 31, So brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave, but we are children of the free woman. Hopefully this wasn't too confusing. If it helps, this was really, this was very timely for the Galatians, and it would have carried significant weight for them. But even even though this was purposed for the Galatians, it's timeless truth is still beneficial for us today. And it's good practice to uncover biblical meaning that's covered up with context. Always be careful with parables and analogies. We don't want to replace God's meaning with our own. Well, next week, Paul moves to talk about living in the freedom that we are given through Jesus Christ. It's a transition from this analogy to another warning for the Galatians. So we'll look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 next week. It'll be great. But until then, I'll catch you later.